Welcome to Ben Davis Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Davis, and I'm excited to have a conversation with you about one of my favorite things in the world, movies. Joining me this week is host of Sif Pop Writer's Room and SifPop.com contributor, Aaron Swisher. How are you doing today, man? I am having a great day. How are you? I'm hanging in there, hanging in there. My Panthers lost today, which, you know, as a Panthers fan, you would think I'm upset. But the reality of the situation is I'm not because I am all aboard the tank. I'm all aboard on the tank and I want Trevor Lawrence really bad (laughs) or Justin Fields. I'll take either one. Well, as a Bears fan, our our 2-0 and reputation right now means absolutely nothing to our performance. <laughs> hey, got, hey, you guys got Mitch. Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> oh, I'll trade you for literally anybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Does it ever pain you as someone who roots for the Bears that you guys had Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes and you traded... On, or you passed on both of them in the draft and, and, and took uh, Mitch Trubisky. Well, and not only that, but we traded up in the draft that year, like two or three yeah. spots or whatever. Um, yeah. it, you know, this was the, the point in time that this happened. I didn't really know football. I don't follow a lot of football. Um, I'm just not familiar with it. Um, I, you know, with, with as many TV and movies that I follow, it's hard to also keep up with sports. So I just keep up with my Blackhawks and that's about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, in hindsight, that's maybe the stupidest decision in the NFL in the last, I don't know what entire ever history of the NFL. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and, and I know that people were talking about Mahomes being, you know, unreliable and inconsistent and things like that in the draft and how he you know, wasn't projected to be the player that he is now. But, I mean, what was so special about Mitch? <laughs> yeah, that's the weirdest thing to me is because he wasn't even the best. Because he's from Carolina. Yeah. And uh, Deshaun Watson played for Clemson, which is also an ACC team with Carolina. Yeah. So he wasn't even the best quarterback in the ACC conference. That was clearly Deshaun Watson. Yeah. So, just it, look, I, I don't make decisions and I think they were just hoping for a gamble that didn't pay off. But at the same time, I mean, could you imagine the bears right now with Mahomes, Mahomes on the, on the front line and Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks on the D that's, that's oh team's unstoppable. Dude. He, and that's he, my extent he, to football knowledge. <laughs> even with Deshaun Watson, that team would be amazing. Uh, I fair. think anyway, but yeah, Mahomes or Watson, both those can't go wrong with either. Obviously Mahomes has, has panned out a little bit better, but I, you know, well, not even a little bit better. He's panned out better. <laughs> yeah. Richest guy in NFL with the richest contract. It's insane, but he seems to be a good guy. So yeah, good for him. Um, Aside from our sports talk, have you watched anything interesting this week that you'd like to share? You know, I want to talk about Bill and Ted face the music, I think. Let's do it. I literally just finished this movie like an hour before we started recording. And I love this movie. I love oh, it so much. Good to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah. Have you seen it yet? Oh, yeah, man. Um, I watched it about three weeks ago. I okay. think it was over whenever the first weekend it was. I think that was three weeks ago when it came out. Um, I I pre-ordered it and um, I just haven't gotten around to watching it yet. I did the theater at home option because if that's an option, I'm going to take that one for now. 
And, um, man, I don't want to say anything about the plot, except because this is a relatively new movie. I don't want to potentially spoil anything, but I'll say that um, Alex Winter is in full force. And, um, I mean, Keanu is, is doing really great, too. He just sometimes feels a little awkward. Uh, but to me, what makes this movie so special is the daughters played by Bridget Lundy Payne and um, Samara Weaving. And they are just incredible. Specifically, Bridget Lundy Payne was such a delight during this movie. It hit me just right. And uh, the, the the comedy made me laugh out loud several times. And I I think there's something really special and meaningful about the ending that I just don't want to don't want to ruin. But for a dumb movie you know, starring like based off of this really dumb, you know, early movie, like early Keanu movie that with how, with all the stupid tones it has somehow this movie actually meant something. And I thought that was really special. Yeah, man. I, I couldn't agree more. Like it's a really heartfelt movie to be such a silly move sequel from a movie that came out in the eighties and nineties. It really, delivered on being an incredibly honestly very positive film and you know that's what we need in the times that we're facing you know right now with covid and everything going on it's it's a nice break for something to be so positive um again you know overall if i think if you're a fan of the first two bill and ted films you know this will be very enjoyable for you um and i just really enjoy the message of being excellent to each other so yeah man it's it's a very enjoyable movie i'm glad you liked it man yeah me too i was uh, a little nervous once the reviews actually started to come out but uh well the reviews were the reviews fairly positive for it or were they negative or i think i think mostly mediocre um like I think there was some people that were like, you know, it just didn't really work because these they're older, uh, and there were some people that's just I, I just didn't hear anybody standing on the rooftop shouting its praises. Um, like the highest rating from anybody I follow on Letterboxd was like, I think three and a half stars, and that's you know maybe not the highest rating for a movie that should be, but you know to me that should be like a pretty average rating for a movie. Um, yeah. I I gave it four and a half. I really loved it. Um, there's just a little bit that doesn't land. I think it's just as good as the original. Uh, it's obviously better than Bogus Journey, which I think you is didn't... better than most people think anyway. Yeah, I was about to say, you don't like Bogus Journey? I'll put it at about a three out of five uh, on mm. Letterboxd. It's, I watched it recently. It's it's one of those movies that I don't like in like when I, when thinking about it, but when watching it, like it's not bad and it, it I think it gets better each each rewatch. It's just, um, you know, it's it just doesn't really feel much like the first movie or the third one for that matter. And I get that they were trying to do something different, but a lot of it just doesn't land quite as well as I think they wanted it to. Especially some of the like heaven and hell stuff, just kind of is a really low spot for the for the I guess trilogy now. Yeah, I. I like Bogus Journey about as equal equally as I, I like uh, Excellent Adventure. Uh, they hit both the same spots for me in terms of how, how funny it is, but I do really love Death and uh, Bogus Journey. He's terrific. Yeah, Death and Death and Station, I think. But I, I have the first Bill and Ted at I think ninety eight on my favorite movies of all time, and really? I don't 
I don't think I would put, yeah, I love the first Bill and Ted. And I think that Face the Music will eventually go up there um, a l- slightly lower than that one. But, yeah. um, you know, maybe in the low 100s. But um, uh, I think that um, I, if even if I had to assemble a top 500, I still don't think Bogus Journey would be up there. Yeah, It's just okay. Yeah. That's a lot of work to put in a top. Like, I love making lists and everything, but... It is very difficult for me to commit to a list of like my top favorite movies just because my opinion is based solely off of emotion usually. Yeah. And it just changes so often because some movies age really well. Some movies don't age as well. So it's hard for me to commit to a list because I end up finding myself going back and changing everything. But one of these days... I'm going to have to like break down and actually make a top 100. I feel like everyone else is doing it. I feel like I'm probably someday going to have to do it, but it's going to be a long and tedious process. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I typically write my, uh, uh, re redo my list every like two or three months. There's maybe one or two changes just because it's how I feel it about a movie. And I'm like, you know, maybe I just think this one's so good because everybody else likes it a little bit more than I do or, you know, I just happen to feel, you know, maybe just I haven't seen this one enough to really appreciate, like, you know, uh, Knives Out recently moved up quite a bit in my list because, you know, I don't want to base, oh, I saw this movie once and put it in the top 20, but I I just recently moved Knives Out to uh, number 18 uh, for me because I, it's very high. I just, it's, it's, it's perfect to me. Um, And so, yeah, so I, I mean, and I is started it, off doing a top. Is it better than most of donut holes in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, my top 100 uh, movie list initially started off as a top 100, but I, I just changed it to favorites because I, I want it to be movies that I consider my favorites, movies that I would recommend somebody watch with everything in me, not just uh here's 100 but uh because yeah. every time every time i add something new something else has got to go off and like i just it breaks my heart whenever i have to remove anything so uh i'm just not anymore it's just like if it's worthy to go on the list you know at, maybe after a year after it's released it'll get up there yeah maybe so i mean my top three usually stay pretty consistent um obviously i cheat really hard on my first one and i go the Skywalker saga is my favorite movie, which is an almost 24 hour movie. <laughs> um, but fight club being at number two and Lord of the Rings trilogy at number three, which I feel like is less of a cheat than my number one. Uh, those are pretty consistent, but everything else is constantly changing. So um, yeah, usually Titanic ends up in there, of course, and goodwill hunting. Um, oddly enough, those movies came out in the same year. Um, you know, those are great films, yeah. but ever changing top t- top uh, 100 list, man, there's something else. Oh, yeah. so eventually I'll have to break down and make one, but you know, talking about things uh, that we've watched this week um, or things that we'd like to share. I'm still watching the boys and this week's episode was really good. Um, are you watching anything? Uh, or are you watching the boys, Aaron? Yeah, I'm a big fan of the boys. I uh, I love season one, and I just I didn't want this to be a show that got ruined for me. So I've been trying to keep up with it, uh, watching the new episodes when they release. Um, it's just one of those shows that I 
I want it to, because it does a lot of hit you out of nowhere, and I really want it to hit me out of nowhere as opposed to, oh, I remember reading about that on Twitter. Yeah, it's, I'm really enjoying this season and the fact that this season is prioritizing character work and, and further developing the relationships between them rather than trying to double down on that, you know, shock value that the show brings. Uh, yeah. You know, don't get me wrong, there's still plenty of shock, but this season is a lot of a lot more than that and i'm really loving it you know um i i know that there are some gripes with the release schedule but honestly like i really like the week-to-week schedule um what do you think about the week-to-week schedule dude i like the week-to-week schedule i just wish that they wouldn't have uh loaded it up with three episodes from the start like hbo's strategy like i i get that for a brand new show and i'm totally in support of that for a brand new show like uh like on last week's Hip Hop Writers Room, I started talking about how I was started to watch Raised by Wolves on HBO Max, and uh, you know I get that like to get that loading dose, but I mean I don't I don't need that for The Boys season two because season one is that loading dose, and especially it's already only eight episodes, so really you're only giving six weeks instead of eight, and it's you know the three hours is a bigger time commitment than just one. And the bigger the time commitment, the less likely I am to get to it immediately. It's part of the reason why something like, you know, The Mandalorian works so well, because all it is is, you know, 30 to 50 minutes, however long the episode wants to be, of um, of The Mandalorian. And, you know, it's not like they dropped all 10 episodes and you got to watch it immediately before you get spoiled. So I, yeah. I like week to week. I just, I wish that they would stick to dropping three the first three to only new shows. That's fair. Um, I really like it. Um, but, you know, speaking of Mandalorian, I also just started watching that again in order to get, you know, prepared for the upcoming second season, despite um, some of the episodes feeling a bit of a lag a bit from my first viewing. I'm still really enjoying it. And I think the show is most rewarding upon rewatches. Uh, did you catch the new trailer? I did. Um, my, the way that I do trailers is I watch it when it comes out and then I don't watch them ever again, uh, except for obviously movie trailers. You know, if I happen to catch it in a theater, then that's kind of my one exception is that was the one I allow it to rewatch. And I don't watch every trailer. Um, I did watch it and I'm about to start rewatching the season one with my wife because she did not watch it with me. Um, but really? she has expressed interest. No, it was right before we got married and oh, we okay. weren't living together. So it was kind of odd and she's not the biggest star Wars fan, okay. but because of the recent 4k releases, we've gone through all of them. Um, um, and, uh, uh, we, oh, you know, we, I really love it. Um, and I think she understands and likes my love and wants to, wants to get that, but she will never be a hardcore star Wars fan. That's kind of the same boat I'm in, man. My my wife is more of a uh, Harry Potter nerd. She loves Harry Potter, knows everything about Harry Potter. I honestly couldn't care less until I met her and then meeting her. I enjoy the Harry Potter movies, more so the books, um, because that's where she, what she likes the most because of her enjoyment. That's where I get my enjoyment from Harry Potter. And I feel like she's kind of the same way with star wars she likes it okay but it's because i geek out and become a 12 year old every time there's something star wars related she you know that's why she loves it so much or at least likes it and puts up with it 
Yeah, that's my wife's the exact same way. I mean, she's not a big Star Wars fan, but she's a big Harry Potter fan, and I'm just not. I mean, I think that they're good movies, but it is far from the best movie or even book franchise of all time uh, in my book. I I don't have any of the movies on my top 100. Although, you know, I I think The Prisoner of Azkaban or Order of Phoenix could make a run for it. Yeah, I don't really enjoy The Goblet of Fire as a movie. The introduction of Voldemort is freaking awesome, but the movies themselves are... I realized what my problem is with the movies because I rewatched them with my wife shortly after we got married during quarantine. And mm-hmm. the, um, the, the problem that I have with the movies is that they rely after you get to pretty much past the first, the first, uh, movie is that they rely so heavenly heavily on extra information from the books that as somebody who hasn't read the books, it doesn't make sense. So the movies are excellent companion pieces to the books, but not as excellent as standalone. Yeah, I can, I can see that for sure. Um, And Goblet of Fire is the worst offender of that. (laughs) Yeah. See, I really enjoy the movie itself. I have never read the books. My wife um, is a bigger fan of the books. She doesn't necessarily like the movies very much. Mm. Um, but I think it's because she feels the movies don't go into as deep detail as they should, or th- some things aren't translated as well as they should be. Um, but yeah, she likes the first two movies and then kind of falls off. And for me, I kind of see that cause there was some stuff that, you know, as we were watching the movies, I had to be explained and I, it's not, I have trouble paying attention, but with movies, for some reason, I very good at paying attention to films. Um, I was having to ask her to explain things to me. So yeah, I can definitely see where that would be an issue having to. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. That was, that was pretty much identical. We'd get, we'd get done watching a movie and I would tell her all my gripes and she would explain how those are explained away in the books. Yeah. Or like that makes more sense in the book, but because you're restricted to a you know two and a half hour max movie, you know there's some things that just have to be left out, and some things you just have to trust your audience with. And you know I think sometimes this is the one where having the source material was a dis well I mean not wasn't a disadvantage, but for a casual viewer can be a disadvantage. Yeah, for sure. So before we move on to our our movie this week, I have to ask you a question: Have you ever heard of the movie Color Out of Space? Nope. Okay, so it's produced by the same guy that, or guy or woman, I don't know, uh, produced that produced Mandy, which is okay. one of my favorite Nick Cage f- films. And my sister is in town this week, and I haven't seen her in several months. So um, she's going to be coming over tonight, and her and I are going to be watching this very trippy in a psychedelic horror film called color of space, which is based off a um, HP Lovecraft's short story. And it stars Nicolas Cage. So, and I'm watching that after I'm recording this. So I was wondering if you had seen it or if you had heard anything about it before, because honestly I haven't heard the first thing about it. I know it's rotten tomato score is like an 80%, which is pretty solid for a Nick Cage movie. And, (laughs) even more solid for a horror movie. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to watch it. It looks pretty crazy. Yeah. I, I think the last Nick Cage movie I saw was kick-ass probably. <laughs> wow. Um, it's been damn. No, that's been 10 years since. Kick-Ass. Yep, it has been. I just, wow. it, 
I mean, every movie since then, and even before Kick-Ass, really since National Treasure 2, has been in the, like, single-digit Rotten Tomatoes numbers. And so it's just not something I'm interested in investing my time in. I'm a big fan of old-school Nick, Nick Cage, though, like uh, like Face Off and The Rock, I think, are oh, yeah, dude. excellent 90s action movies. Yeah, Nick Cage, honestly, when Nick Cage goes over the top in certain movies, it works, and it works so well. It works so well. But then other times... It is a big misfire, you know. It's kind of like uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick as a quarterback when he hits hard, when, when he when he hits a a scoring touchdown and he gets on a roll, he's really solid. But then there are times when he's throwing picks left and right. So <laughs> you just I will I will take your word on that football reference <laughs> that I have no idea. Ryan Fitzmagic is what they call him because sometimes he he throws magic. Sometimes it's mm, not so good. So we'll see. I, I will get to you guys next week and let you guys know what I think about it. But I'm very excited to watch it nonetheless, because I love a good old fashioned wacky Nick Cage performance in particular. Um, speaking of Mandy, there's a scene of him in the bathroom in Mandy that I want everyone to go on YouTube and just watch. Just watch it right now, because it is awesome. <laughs> it's the best over the top acting performance I've seen in quite some time. Okay. But all right, moving on to our movie this week. Um, we're going to be talking about Snatch, uh, a film directed by Guy Ritchie and starring an all star ensemble cast with the likes of Benicio del Toro, Dennis Farina, Vinnie Jones, Brad Pitt, Alan Ford, Jason Statham, Lenny James, Ewan Brimmer, Robbie Gee. And if you aren't familiar with Snatch, the plot synopsis reads like such according to Google. A legal boxing promoter, Turkish, convinces gangster Bricktop to offer bets on bare knuckle boxer Mickey at his uh, brookie or bookie business. When Mickey does not throw the first fight he has agreed, an in, uh, infuriated Bricktop demands another match. Meanwhile, gangster Frankie Fourfingers comes to to place a bet for a friend with Bricktop's. Uh, bookies as multiple criminals coverage a stolen diamond that frankie has come to london to sell um the gangster genre honestly is is full of classics you know most people most cinephiles when you ask them what's the greatest film of all time usually not all not all the time but most of the time answers are going to be godfather or godfather 2 we won't talk about godfather 3 to me, it doesn't exist. Uh, there's Goodfellas, Scarface, The Untouchables, American Gangster, and The Departed. You know, those are some of the classic gangster films that come to mind when I think of the genre as a, as a whole. But no one can direct a gangster film quite like Guy Ritchie. He imbues such life and energy into films with this very unique style and quick wit about them that makes them very entertaining. It really shows in films like Lock, Stock, Two Smoking Barrels, Rock and Rolla, and the movie I recommended last week, uh, The Gentleman, which if you haven't seen, I highly recommend it. It's still one of my favorite films to come out this year. Not that competition is very stiff, but <laughs> it's really, really good. But to me, Snatch is his masterpiece to this genre. So Aaron, when was the first time you saw Snatch and how does it compare to how you feel about it now? 
Well, first of all, I'm not going to let you get off the hook of talking about gangster genres without mentioning LA Confidential. But um, <laughs> how did I forget about that one? <laughs> that has one of not, the best shootouts ever. It it's because it's more a detective movie. I mean, Mickey yeah. Cohen's in it, but it's in the very beginning. But it's still kind of that gangster era and. It's a film know, noir, is, for sure. The villain is, yeah, it's fil- film noir. I mean, gang- gangsters may be a bit of a stretch, but uh, if you're going to talk about movies like The Untouchables, then I'm definitely going to throw L.A. Confidential in your face, That's um, right. yeah. which are both terrific, terrific movies. I'm not saying anything against The Untouchables, but uh, I first saw Snatch in high school. Uh, this was, I think, my first exposure to Guy Ritchie movies. I had heard of Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels because somebody recommended it to my brother, recommended it to my brother who's five years older than me when he was in high school. And I think, so I think he like watched it and I, but I, either, either I had seen Lockstock first cause I'd saw it with him or I saw Snatch first. I'm not positive which one at this point, because that's been just too long ago. Um, but the reason why I initially kind of picked up this movie was because it has Jason Statham in one of the lead roles and, you know, middle school me was the biggest fan of Jason Statham and, um same here (laughs) so i just wanted to see whatever he was in and here's this movie you know one of the movies and especially you know by that point you know this we're talking like the time the expendables came out uh by the time that came out you know he didn't have a terribly big filmography so it wasn't hard to watch most of the things especially i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pass on the one of his that's arguably the highest rated movie he's ever been in so uh so i checked it out and um i remember really liking it um and then growing to love it and I'm still in the love it category. I just, I don't rewatch it as much um, as I think I probably did initially. Um, and a lot of that is just because I've watched a lot more movies since then or heard about a lot more movies that I need to watch. I'm almost always going to gravitate to watching something new as opposed to watching something for the you know dozenth time or whatever. <laughs> Um, but I mean, I, I still think it holds up really well. I think it's, uh, still excellent. I have it at number 95 on my highest movies of all time. Yeah, man. It's, it's a really good movie. Um, I was pretty late to this one. Uh, I didn't see this movie until I think around 2015 when I went to go visit family in Ohio. And by then, like, you know, every other movie that has a huge cult following, this movie had really been ranted and raved about to me for a very long time. And I'm very cautious when movies are like that because I don't want my expectations to be so high. Um, so the But the bar was set very high. Um, when I finally sat down to, to watch it, though, this movie really lived up to the hype. You know, Guy Ritchie's unique directing style injects such a, a fun kinetic feel that makes the movie and the world it builds relentlessly entertaining, hilarious, and just really fun to watch. You know, my biggest takeaway from the film, of course, though, is the characters and the actors that play them. I swear I could watch a movie about Turkish Mickey Bricktop, Frankie four fingers, bullet tooth, Tony soul, or the blade. All the characters are just so fun and funny and interesting to follow and the way that the story weaves their stories um together seamlessly is is such a in such a frantic yet controlled way just makes the the film feel like it's it's flying by watching it to prepare for the show i'm reminded just how awesome 
this this movie is and so much so i watched it twice in a row hmm. uh, this movie fl- it flew by it flew by um again it's 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 such an engaging movie um if you had to pick any of the characters to make a standalone movie with who do you th- who do you think you'd choose oof uh See, that's a hard question because uh, I love all the characters here equally. I think uh, I could see any of them, honestly. And that's why this is such a hard question is because I um, I could see like a brick top kind of, you know, like a prequel. That would be really cool. Or I could see uh, Vinnie Jones's character. I can't remember his name. Uh, just kind of like a bullet tooth Tony. Bullet tooth Tony. There you go. Bullet tooth Tony kind of having a sort of like an anthology um you know, series of him going around doing things or the, uh, you know, Jason Statham's character with, with, uh, um, with Tommy as well. I mean, I think could eat, could have their own separate adventures, but I mean, probably Brad Pitt and the Pikers. Yeah. Those are very, very entertaining characters. The Pikers in general are, if you could understand, maybe the movie would have to be subtitled, (laughs) but that's what makes those characters so funny to me because you can faintly understand what they're saying, but it's very difficult. It's very difficult. Um, For me, the guy I would want to follow is bullet tooth Tony. And I would want to see what happened to him after he was shot. What was it? Six or seven times in a row. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I would want to follow him from there to the beginning of this movie and see see what kind of shenanigans he got into. But the Blade would also be a hilarious comedy, though. Watching him would be real funny. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so, the Rotten Tomato score for this movie is 73%, um, with the consensus being, though perhaps a case of style over substance, Guy Ritchie's second crime caper is full of snappy dialogue, dark comedy, and interesting characters. Um, do you agree with this uh, consensus rating? What would you what would you personally have for your percentage for a Rotten Tomato score if Rotten Tomatoes was just your score? What, do you, what would you give it? I'd be closer to probably somewhere around uh, low 90s, um, just because, I mean, this movie's excellent. Um, I, I do agree with the things that this, that the consensus is saying, that this probably is a case of style over substance. That's not to yeah. say that there's no substance. Um, and I would agree that there's snappy dialogue, dark, dark comedy, and really interesting characters, all those to the max. Um, I just... Uh, I, you know, I think that this is a little bit lighter of a tone than something like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and I think it's better for that uh, reason. And I think that uh, um, this is probably the best version of this formula type of movie that we're going to get. Yeah, it's it's really really good. Um, you know, to me, this consensus, I I genuinely agree with it. I do, but my score would probably be you know, in the 80 to 85 range, you know, this movie didn't move me or make me feel in the same way that other gangster films like the departed or Goodfellas did. But I don't think that's what this movie was really going for. You know, it seems to be going for more of an engaging and convoluted story that's propelled by the actors 
wonderfully capturing these colorful characters in this rich world that really is emphasized by its style and, and humor and, and wit. And it has those, like you said, to the max. It really does. And it's it's not aiming to move the soul, but rather it's, you know, kind of to entertain the spirit, if that makes any sense. Um, sure. Because this movie is really, really, really entertaining. And it's very rewatchable. Like I said, I watched it two times in a row because I was like, you know what? I don't have anything else to do. I'm going to pop this on again just because I, I, I forgot how good it was. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> but well, yeah. and this movie definitely rewards rewatches. It, having it understand understood the big picture. Mm-hmm. It really, really does. Once you see everything come together at the end, because this, this, the plot is very convoluted and it moves very, very fast. The characters are all very quick witted and they're, you know, shooting lines back and forth, especially with, again, the Pikes, which this movie largely revolves around, especially at the end. So you have to, you know, really pay attention to what's going on. And if you have already seen it once watching it again and again, you pick on, pick up on more stuff and it makes the rewatches very rewarding. But let's hop into some fun facts here, man. Um, Okay. When Guy Ritchie told Brad Pitt that he'd be playing a boxer, Pitt became concerned because he had just finished shooting fight club. My second favorite film of all time. And he did not want to play the same type of role again. But Pitt took the role anyway because he wanted to work with Richie so badly. And can you blame him? I mean, he Guy Richie was just coming off of Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, which was a pretty, you know, highly regarded film. I don't know exactly what the Rotten Tomato score of it was, but I know it has a huge cult following. So <clears throat> I know yeah, I don't, that... Do I? I don't blame him at all. I mean, this is... I mean, he had every sign to be the next, you know, up and coming and he shoots in a way that's very similar to Tarantino uh, and writes, you know, this is very sim- like the lock stock and uh, um, this one are very similar to like Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs. It's, um, you know, who wouldn't want to be involved with that? And I mean, but on top of that, the, I mean, these movies just seem so fun, uh, especially Snatch. And so who wouldn't want to be a part of that? exactly you know this, this seems like it was a, a fun movie to shoot a fun movie to work on um i i if i were an actor i'd love to be part of it speaking of brad pitt uh his character and incomprehensible uh speech was inspired by many critics complaints like i was saying earlier uh about the accents of the characters in lock stock and two smoking barrels uh guy Ritchie decided to uh counter the criticism by creating a character that not only couldn't be understood by the audience, but also couldn't be understood by the characters in the movie, which is 100% true to this day. I can only understand about 85% of what he's saying. If that like it's of course, when he says, you know, it's for my, my, like I understand he's talking about his mother, but everything else, it's very hard to understand him. Yeah. And it's it's pretty funny that he took, you know, criticism and made it a positive because mm-hmm. Brad Pitt's performance is great in this. Again, going back to Brad Pitt, um, as he's, you know, as he was playing a particularly scummy character, Brad Pitt made a point to rarely wash during the film's production. That's disgusting. Amen. 
<laughs> that, that is gross. Um, I can't go a day without showering, let alone multiple days. No, I don't think I could either. I mean, especially you're talking, you're an actor and you're on set and you're, I mean, he's probably getting sweaty, working up, worked up, especially some of the fight scenes that he has to do. I mean, I get the idea of, of doing that, but I mean, it, it, if it's just a week, if it's just a couple weeks, I think I could do it because I think that, I mean, he really looks like a piker. <laughs> he looks, yeah, he, he looks dirty in this movie, but that's what they're going for. Yeah. His hair looks very greasy. So, yep. <laughs> it works. Yep. Um, Guy Ritchie reportedly paid U.S. one million uh, for the use of Madonna's song "Lucky Star," which appears two times in this movie. It appears when Bulletproof Tony gets shot seven times, and then plays again in a scene that we'll we'll be coming up to in, in favorite scenes. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. And the last fun fact I got for you, unless you have any more to add, is the role of Bricktop was originally offered to Sean Connery. Connery liked the script and was curious to see uh, Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. So producer Matthew Vaughn hastily agreed a screening for him at an extreme short notice. Connery duly turned up and... uh, watched the film before emerging uh with his judgment that this is a good film he said and and then strangely whispered you're not going to be able to afford me (laughs) cast alan ford um what do you think what would you have thought if sean connery had played the role Uh, i mean i think alan ford does a terrific job um i think he's he's done great but Man, I'd really love to see Sean Connery in a role like this. And I mean, there's to some degree, like, first of all, I just miss Sean Connery as an actor. I watched The Hunt of Red o- for Red October a couple of nights ago with my wife. And I mean, that movie is just outstanding. And, you know, watching him in some of the old Bond movies and w- like we mentioned, The Untouchables early. I mean, I really miss him as an actor. Uh, and he notoriously quit because of a string of really bad movies and League of Extraordinary extraordinary gentleman was the one that really sealed the deal for him um but you know part of me wonders is like you know you would probably get better roles if you would just you know take less money and i think this is a good example of that like you know his i mean he's sean connery he has all the money in the world you know he doesn't necessarily need to be charging super high rates anymore especially for some of these shorter independent films like i mean like I get it. Like I, I get that he wants to be paid for his work and he deserves to be paid that money. But at the same time, like wouldn't you rather be working and making less than in retirement for 15 years because of making bad movies? Well, he had already won his Oscar. You know, he'll be remembered always for being the first ever and some still contend the greatest ever James Bond. Um, he's in, I think the best Indiana Jones film. So I agree his his uh his legacy is it's it'll it it's untainted now the end of his career is you know league of extraordinary gentlemen the uh, you know the avengers which is not the same avengers you know <laughs> completely right. different movie um that came out wasn't really loved of course he famously passed on playing gandalf and lord of the rings so 
Well, and again, nothing against. I mean, Ian McKellen is terrific, but I kind of want to see that Sean Connery one too. I mean, I, th- I mean, I don't think that he would do as good as Ian McKellen, but like, if he took more roles like Gandalf, if he took roles like um, Brick Top, you know, I, I wonder if maybe Sean Connery would still be in the business today. He would have been a little bit more intimidating as Brick Top, I think. You know, no, no offense to to Alan Ford, he was ter- again terrific, and as uh, Brick Top, but Connery. Yeah it's not well known or maybe it is i'm not sure but he won a uh mr universe back in the day or one third place at a mr universe before he was james bond but he's a big guy so yeah. it, it would have been interesting to, to see him try to you know physically intimidate people well i mean and on top of that i mean he's so experienced as an actor and he's just so excellent i mean like again i was watching hunt for red october and he is so dang intimidating in that movie that i uh, you know to see to, for him to take a role on like this would have been i think really good again nothing against alan ford um i would have really liked to seen that sean sean connery one but i don't i don't know that we're necessarily missing uh anything like it's you know same same thing with like lord of the rings or you know a, a million other examples you can find like uh you know it's we're not necessarily missing anything that we don't have connery in this role yeah, exactly. It just it's a cool thought to have possibly seen him take up this role. For pretty, sure. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. But before we get to our award section, we're gonna take a quick break to let you hear an ad from our sponsor. And we are back. Thank you so much to our sponsor over here at Ben Davis Movie Podcast. We appreciate that a great deal. But we are gonna move on to our award section, which and we're gonna start off with favorite moments and scenes uh first one i have listed down here is introduction of all the characters and their names and i honestly think there's no better way to to start off this movie because this movie has a crap ton of characters with all sorts of very catchy and awesome and wonderful names um i i just really like this because there's again, this movie is very convoluted, and it makes it a lot easier to keep up with who is who. Yeah, I uh, I think this is the right way to do this, and I think it's just done in a in a quick, concise way that gets me entertained and hooked immediately. I'm looking at you, Suicide Squad, um, <laughs> but it's also like it, it's also concise, and I have an understanding at least uh, or a reference of a character uh, at the beginning. And you know that doesn't always work out because there's always a million names to remember and if you're bad with names then you know it, it, it's going to take a hot second but uh i mean i feel like that's part of the one of the reasons why i like uh but don't necessarily love reservoir dogs because i have a hard time following who is who yeah I, I follow that it's one of my i mean that's still one of my favorite uh tarantino flicks but i i get that it's hard to, to follow who is who in that yeah um the second thing i have listed is this is, is it's more of a line, but it's this is tip top. I'm just not a fan of the color in reference to his uh, his trailer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he opens it up. The door comes off the hinges. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is, a, this is a really funny moment. Yeah, I just I, I really like it. <laughs> it's it's I Jason think, Statham's reaction that really sells it for me. I think Jason Statham has a lot more comedic timing than people have ever given him credit for. And I would love to see him take on more of a comedic role in something. Oh, oh dude, I completely agree. 
uh, there was a movie that came out a couple years ago. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's called Spy with Melissa McCarthy. What do you think about that? Um, I, I know the critics are really high on it, and I just wasn't. Um, I don't know what it was. Maybe I need to give it a rewatch. Um, I, I don't. I just remember thinking this movie should be for me. I mean, I loved the heat. Uh, and I generally love Paul Feig. I even don't mind the Ghostbusters reboot, but I didn't really like that movie. But I think he's I think he's perfectly funny in Hobbs and Shaw. I think they just need to lean into you know some stuff like that, some of his comedic elements and more roles. Yeah. Now, I I really enjoyed Spy. Uh, most of the reason I enjoyed Spy was because of his comedic chops. And like you said, Hobbs and Shaw is another great example of his comedic chops. I think him and The Rock have great chemistry um i can't wait to see where the hobbs and shaw franchise goes which i mean that movie it appeals to me it's dumb fun i don't have to think about it much i just turn off my brain um so i'm looking forward to seeing what that franchise does as a spinoff from the fast and furious movies yeah yeah next scene i have listed is frankie four fingers talking to cousin abby and his suits changing four times between each cutback now what do you th- why do you think his suits are changing between each cutback? Um, I mean, I guess I never really thought into this too much. My guess is just him being indecisive on what he wants to wear. Either that or he's spending a crap ton of money because remember he has a gambling problem. That's true. So or, I don't know could, where I land. It could also just be to symbolize passage of time. I don't think that's what this movie is going for in this instance. Yeah. Um, I I don't really know. It, it, I think it's just frankly a comedic gag that I don't know necessarily means more. I I think I think you're probably more right that maybe it's just to show that he's very irresponsible with his spending. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty funny. Yeah, I now, buy that. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about the introduction of Mickey and Mickey's first fight? This is uh, probably the first moment in the movie that uh, that really had me just stunned and in awe because I was like, "Oh, okay, that's that's what happens." Got it. Um, when Mickey just knocks out his opponent with one with one punch and kind of, I mean, you see him even take a beating as he's you know getting off his clothes. I mean, just you just immediately like, "Man, this guy's a badass." Yeah, he's. First off, it's the accent. Like the accent is what got me that when I first started watching, I'm like, am I supposed to understand what he's saying? And then when you hear Jason Statham, you know, going, did you understand what he just said? Like <laughs> it's it, or not Jason Statham, but um, what's the guy that he knocks out? Oh my God. It's the boxer that he knocks out. Uh, I can't forget his name. My head. But Brad Pitt calls him big fella. Um, but yeah, when he knocks the guy out, well, first off, he gets the, the shit rock, you know, shit kicked out of him for a good minute or so. And then it's just like the editing and the sound design of like, it's like a shotgun sound when he hits him and then it's out cold, out cold. It's really badass. Like you were talking about, like, I, I really dig this scene. Yeah. Um, convincing mickey to take the fight now this scene to me is really freaking hilarious mostly because he wants more money this time or he wants a lot of money this time 
but he wants it for a caravan for his ma. And they keep going, is who? My ma! (laughs) They all go say that. And then they hand him a pic. It's the picture of his mom that's particularly hilarious because it's just her staring off into the distance with like a big goofy look on her face. It's it's really funny. Yeah, that Um, scene is really funny. (laughs) A lot of this movie is just really funny. Like it's really, really ridiculously funny. Um, speaking of funny mo- or funny scenes, breaking into the bookie's office. Um, this is hilarious. This this whole scene, just because it's everything that could go wrong with the characters of Soul and Vinny does, and this it is- just. Kind of- they just handle things so badly. <laughs> this is where they parallel park into the van that Benicio del Toro's in, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they just kind of like trap him in the own van. The guy that they're waiting for, they just trap him in the van behind them because yeah. one of them doesn't know how to parallel park. There's yeah, this that. Is a, <laughs> this is a comedy of errors is what it is. And it, it works really well. It works so well, especially when you consider the actor that plays, I think it's Vinny, the one that has the shotgun or no, it's soul. I think it's soul. Uh, he accidentally, when he shoots the shotgun, hit himself in the private parts. And that take is in the movie. <laughs> when he shoots the shotgun. So I was like, not only yeah. did everything in the movie go wrong, but shooting the scene went wrong for this poor guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, the next scene I have here is the blade killing Frankie four fingers, because again, it's a comedy of errors realizing that he had just shot and killed Frankie four fingers. The only guy who has the combination to this briefcase and it's yeah, his, this, <laughs> this is definitely one that I wanted to mention. This is uh this is one of the funniest moments in the movie. One of the most memorable ones. And it's, a lot of it is because of the delivery of the actor, you know, that he's being held at gunpoint and they're saying like, essentially like we have the leverage now, like, but like in a comedic way um, and not really anybody knowing what's going on. Cause he's like the only man that knew the combination you just shot. Yeah. So and I, he's like, I really well, like the scene. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the actor's delivery, his physical performance in this and his facial reaction to everything is perfect. Um, for those of you who are not uh, aware of the actor, I don't know the name of the actor. Uh, however, he is the guy that was in Batman Begins. Um, who played the homeless man who goes, this is a nice coat. Um, yeah. Uh, but he um, was oh my god I forget his name yeah it's hard to pronounce his name it's like Raid Serbedzija yeah we'll go with that (laughs) hopefully I didn't just butcher that (laughs) but yeah he's really funny in this and uh, speaking of Soul and Vinny the scene where Bricktop introduces himself to Soul Vinny and Bad Boy uh this is a wonderfully written scene. It's the as greedy as a pig monologue. And yeah. oh, dude, it's dude. The actor Alan Ford crushes this scene. 
absolutely crushes it. I think it's just yeah, I, wonderfully delivered. I agree. I think this is probably the highlight of the movie uh, because it's it's so intimidating. It's so unique and original. It's so. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to say intimidating again because it is that intimidating. Um, it, and it's just creative. And I mean, you're talking, We one of the things that constantly I'm reminded of in this movie is that because it takes place in the UK, there are different regulations as in America. And, and so there are different ways of dealing with people and different ways of dealing with crime. And, you know, it's just, it's different in a good way. Yeah, it's... <laughs> The the funny thing about this scene is they keep asking him, who are you? We don't know who you are. And he just doesn't acknowledge them until finally at the end where he says, I'm your nemesis. And he tells them the definition of nemesis. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah. Speaking of the blade, the scene where he gets hit by the car, where he has the bag over his head and he can't see and he's just like taking every few steps kind of like walking awkwardly and very gingerly just gets rocked by a car (laughs) it's it's pretty hysterical again the physical performance of this actor is terrific oh yeah uh bullet tooth tony's talk with soul Vinny, and tyrone as and and I'll call it the big ball speech <laughs> because he's just not intimidated again at all by these guys can tell they're they're just you know they just are very unlucky you know what i mean they're 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 not i guess you could say knowledgeable of this kind of world sure. um or at least they are but they're just they're just very goofy Sure. And unlucky. And he takes full advantage of that because he's he's been there. He's done that. He's been in these situations. He's been shot seven times and lived through it. So (laughs) pretty funny. Uh, The next scene I have listed here is Bullet Tooth Tony taking mullet for a ride. And this is a scene I was talking about earlier where Lucky Star plays. Could you imagine being rolled up in a window and then being drugged? Oh my god, that would be horrifying. It's it, it's again one of those really creative, really unique, but pro- probably effective, right? Especially you know interrogation strategy that, and it you know it, it doesn't take long for him to say what he needs, and it's you know a pretty pretty quick resolve at the end. You know, yeah. it's, it's a fun scene. My favorite thing he says is when the song starts playing. He goes, oh, I love this tune. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect because it's Lucky Star. And it's Vinnie Jones, this big, you know, in real life soccer player who's well known for getting in like fist fights. And he likes the song Lucky Star. <laughs> yeah. Has a weird connection to, to Guy Ritchie because, you know, he ended up marrying Madonna and doing that really awful movie Swept Away, which please don't watch unless you're very interested in it. Movies are subjective. You may like it, but it was not my uh, cup of tea. Uh, The blade refusing to die a la like Austin powers. (laughs) 
<laughs> How many times does he shoot him in this scene? It's like at least seven or eight times. He shoots in the initial like three or four and then has to go back two or three more times. <laughs> because he just keeps on like you know making a noise or making a remark that you know shows that he's still alive yeah. it's, it's real funny yeah it makes me giggle every time and another interesting thing about this movie i feel like most of the deaths happen off screen you don't really see anyone die i mean there's people that get there's dead bodies in this movie but you rarely see anyone get killed on screen. Yeah, no, this um, it, this movie could be a lot more violent than it actually is. I mean, this movie could be, with it, without changing very much, be very much like Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah, for sure. Next scene I have is Cousin Avi, uh, Avi realizing he killed Bullet Tooth Tony. <laughs> Again, uh, comedy circumstance comedy and him just picking up the gun shooting out the window at the dog that's gotten away that just ate the jewel and come on tony and then he runs and tony doesn't get up tony tony <laughs> it's just, it shows him flying back to to new york she's like don't go to england <laughs> it's really funny yeah yeah and the last scene, yeah don't go to london <laughs> yeah don't go to london and the last scene unless i ha you have one you want to add is mickey's last fight slash mickey's revenge um i really like this la last fight a lot mostly because of the creative use of trying to show what getting punched and feeling like you're you know feeling concussed feels like as someone who has had a concussion in wrestling matches and you know awfully wrestle through them um that th this is exactly how it feels it, it, it is not fun <laughs> it feels like water's in your head and when brad pitt gets you know hurled back when he falls in the water after he gets punched um and that rep that visual representation of that is very creative and then of course mickey gets his revenge after uh What's his face? Oh my god! Why am I flat top or not flat top? Uh, brick top. There we go. Brick top. Um, what did I say flat top. <laughs> brick top. Um, kills his mother. He gets his revenge and just takes out his entire posse. It's very satisfying. Yeah. 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 Um, this is this is the culmination of everything that works about this genre. I mean, the movie doesn't really work until this point and you realize everything that's going on and you're like okay this is really something special yeah this 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 scene is it, it really 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 good it's it's very much like you're questioning whether or not it's going to be pulled off and then all of a sudden this scene happens and you're like all right he did it i mean similar to a way of i mean pretty much you watch any nolan movie and i don't, I don't think you've seen it yet but this is the same way i saw tenet and no spoilers obviously but you just think of the whole time, is Nolan really going to pull this off? And all of a sudden there's just a moment and you're like, all right, he did it. Yeah. I unfortunately have still seen still not seeing Tenet. And I really, really, really want to see it. And I'm so jealous you got to see it. <laughs> Look, no judgment. I totally understand people not wanting to see it. I made a, I made a decision to, to do it. I, I was safe about it. I was smart about it. 
Oh yeah. Like when I went to go see what was it? It was Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, um, a couple weeks back when I was in a state that had movie theaters opening. Uh I went to go see Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, and I was very impressed with how the theater was taking the safety precautions to make sure the uh, guests were all safe. And I, I was very pleased with what they were doing. But again, it's if you don't want to go or that that is your judgment call. You know what I mean? Yep. It's for people's particular circumstances. Everyone's circumstance is very different. Um, so that is someone else's judgment call to make, not mine. And if you don't want to go, don't feel comfortable. I do not blame you at all. Yep. Um, I have two more moments that I wanted to mention. Um, and they're, they're just lines that I think are really, really, really funny. Uh, and they're both really subtle and they're both really at the beginning. And I think both of these uh, kind of go to emphasize um, that Jason Statham's comedic timing. And uh, the first is, uh, it's, it's, I think it's in the opening scene where, uh, it's just Turkish and Tommy and they're kind of walking around and the, the one guy is making sausages on the grill and he goes, how much longer is this? Two minutes. And Tommy and Turkish continue conversation and looks at the guy that he's like, Hey, are the sausage is done yet. It's like two minutes and Turkish kind of, like, all right. And he, he like looks back at Tommy, but he's like, realize what he said. He looks back. He's like, you said two minutes, five minutes ago. I just, <laughs> I think that one's really funny. Um, and then in that same scene, uh, where Tommy shows Turkish his new big bad boy revolver. And he's like, what are you going to do with this? And Tommy says, it's for protection. And he ends it goes, from what? The Germans? <laughs> I, just, I think those are really funny moments. Well, he always does stuff. Like, it's always German references to him. And I don't know why that is. I th- I think it's just one of the things that Richie you know, wrote in there, be, partly because of this this line, you know, what do you do to the Germans? Because then it comes back a couple more times in there. <laughs> this, this line, his Statham's delivery is is just really good. Um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. So out of all these moments and scenes, which one is your favorite, if you had to pick? Uh, man, dude, it comes down to... Uh, it really goes down to one or two. And it's uh, either mickey's revenge um or um the 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 pig um analogy i think i think both of them are excellent i think that we need to give whoever guy Ritchie has editing the movies more credit um because you know it takes somebody really special it takes some really special editing skills to make sure this is all right and flowing well and keeping you entertained um, but ultimately though, I'm, I'm going to pick Mickey's revenge because as I mentioned, this is the moment where you're like, okay, he's going to pull it off. He's, he's been ambitious and this is the payoff. Yeah. I'm going to, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go with that same, that same scene, man. Mickey's last fight and his revenge is, it's very well edited. It's very well done. Uh, it keeps the excitement going, especially the, the revelation of how it went down with the pause once the gunshots go off and you realize what's happening, it's yeah. it's very, very, very well done and really entertaining. And of course, Brad Pitt, there's something about him in fight scenes. He feels very believable. I feel like that guy in real life knows how to, how to, how to fight. <laughs> Maybe. Well, Maybe. And it, all, it also goes to show that like to this point, we haven't seen Mickey react yet to his mother's death other than watching him watch the caravan burn. Um, and so, you know, with his mother inside of it. And so uh, I 
we haven't seen how he's going to react. And so we just don't really know, you know, we're not really sure like, Oh crap. Like how, what's he going to do? How is he going to get back at, at Bricktop? And it pays off so well. This is one of the best payoffs I've seen in a, especially such a convoluted movie. Yeah. And the way that he just outsmarts Bricktop who feels indestructible throughout most of the movie, everyone's, you know, ooing and awing and kind of at his beck and call. And then this guy, you know, yeah. just comes up and outsmarts them. It's pretty fun. But moving on to a a lesser category, least favorite moments and scenes. I don't really have one. You know, you know, this movie is it's not a perfect movie, but there's not a particular moment that I feel is bad or scene that I feel is bad, you know. But I will say, as convoluted as this movie is, it wraps up a little too cleanly. Uh, take from that what you will. Uh, I still haven't decided really how I feel about it or how I feel about that. But there really isn't a scene or moment in this movie that had me scratching my head or made me want to skip it. You know, this isn't really a movie where you can skip a scene or just walk out because it's so convoluted. You have to really pay attention to it. Um, yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I don't I don't really... I think that sure maybe cleanly wrapping up is is maybe a disadvantage. I think that's one of the one of the big differences between Snatch and Lock and Lockstock is everything gets neatly tied to bow in Snatch and it doesn't quite in Lockstock. But uh, um, yeah, I mean I can't think of anything in particular, and I I just haven't seen this movie recently enough. Yeah, I watched this movie not too long ago, um, uh, but you know I didn't watch it specifically this week for the podcast. And if maybe if I'd have watched it this week, I'd have, I'd have found something. But I. I, I really like this movie. I think that kind of each motion makes sense. I mean, I could maybe go without the cousin, cousin Ari character, but AV, sorry, cousin AV character. But, um, I mean, he, he sets the plot in motion. Yeah. Um, he's necessary. He's necessary for that. I mean, maybe he could just use a little less screen time because there's already too many characters. There's already so much going on. And I mean, we know he's still trying to set things in motion. Like, I don't, he, maybe I would, take him out and it's nothing against the actor i think he's great um but i that's the only if you're gonna force me to make a knock that would be it yeah like that's that's really the 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 only knock i have is yeah everything kind of cleaningly cleaningly well can't speak how everything wraps wraps up very cleanly i don't i don't really it's not i don't know it just doesn't work for me i kind of I'm, I'm left wanting something a little bit little bit extra but at the well, same time i haven't really decided how i feel about it so it's well uh, and it's one of those that it's it's a little too clean and i feel like you got to go one of two ways with it um and a lot of it is because it all happens by happenstance and they just the main character is like write it off they never really know how much went into everything they're just like okay so like that's just it and they don't really know all the details of how things happen they're just you're going to trust it. And it just it maybe doesn't feel as genuine. Whereas something like better example is uh burn after reading where the way that they've set that up where everything gets wrapped up cleanly, but you have the JK Simmons characters being okay. So he died and he was killed and this person's in jail for this many years and the recording has been destroyed. And what do we need to be worried about again? And they're just like, well, nothing. So, okay. Well file it away and 
let's not worry about it again. Like they kind of take that <clears throat> Cohen brothers com- comedy approach, which works really well for that. Yeah. Um, and the, it just, the movie doesn't necessarily take anything into account. Yeah. All right. Moving on to best performance. Uh, who, who you got for this man? Well, I mean, there's a very clear winner here. There's only going to be one contender in my mind though. And it's going to be Benicio del Toro. Uh, really? It's he's my only contender. He's not only the person contender. I'm picking. Okay, he's okay. the only person that I could see picking. Of, of it's got to be Brad Pitt, but uh, yeah. he's the, <laughs> Benicio is the only person I could see picking above Brad Pitt because he doesn't he doesn't have a lot of screen time, but he plays this character really well, um, and he's he's kind of having fun with it, um, especially for a moderately pretty serious actor um he he yeah he just looks like he's having fun and i enjoy every second that he's on the screen yeah he's benicio del toro is just a very very obviously he's a very talented actor he's an oscar winner he won best supporting actor for traffic in 2000 or for the year 2000 but he's such a cool actor oh yeah he he just oozes cool there's something about him that's very, very cool. And I, I really like him. But to me, the clear front runner, it's, it's Brad Pitt. He's yep. it's Brad Pitt. That performance yep. is so good. Again, I don't understand half of what he's saying, but he's just so charismatic. And even though I don't understand half of what he's saying, I still understand the point he's trying to get across and what he's saying, I guess, if, if that makes sense. I still understand what he's trying to say. Yeah, well, uh-huh. and I think that the script is definitely setting you up in a way to where you want to think that this Brad Pitt character is the best because you have such a good – the people around him, the other Pikers, do a really great job of of emphasizing the, the Brad Pitt's character. You know, how like he'll say something and then somebody will get annoyed and all of them shout unanimously what he's saying. At, like it, it part, a lot of his character is elevated by things happening around him. Yeah. 100% agree. And again, this is Brad. This is close to peak Brad Pitt when he was coming off of a bunch of really, really good movies. Yeah. You know, you had Fight Club, Seven, uh, 12 Monkeys. You know, he was coming off of a lot of good movies, a lot of, a lot of hits. Oh, yeah. And Thankfully, he finally won an Oscar this year for or this past year for uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Rightfully yeah. so. You think so? You think that fight? So Fight Club's obviously your favorite movie with him in it. Yeah. Um, do you think that's his best performance? Fight Club. Yeah. Because I'm looking at my letterbox right now, and I have the highest movie with Brad Pitt in it is Inglorious Bastards. Um, that's my favorite movie with him in it. Uh, but man, I think, I think, I think my favorite performance for him is 12 monkeys. It's, it is kind of a, a, hmm, that is a difficult question. I probably have to say fight club. I, I I love him as Tyler Durden. I think he should have gotten an Oscar nomination that year. Granted, that was an incredibly difficult and competitive year to get nominated but I would have loved to have seen him get a best supporting actor nomination for fight club. He yeah, was, that's fair. he was terrific in that. I, I love him as Tyler Durden. I, I, yeah, he was perfectly cast in that. And 
delivered a performance that is part of the reason why that movie is my second favorite film of all time. Uh, but sure. I, I do love him and once upon a time in Hollywood and maybe that's recency bias coming in, but I, I adore that last 20 minutes when he, after he takes or smokes that acid cigarette. <laughs> oh yeah. I think, I think he's really good in that. I just, I mean, personally, I think that Tom Hanks for a beautiful day in the neighborhood should have taken home that award, but I he think was great that too. Was, I think it's he, about time that Brad Pitt got an Oscar. So I, I just see that as he was, he was Brad Pitt was great. in once upon a time in Hollywood uh, in his role, I just don't know that there was necessarily anything that screams best performance of the year, best supporting performance of the year, especially by Tom Hanks's just impeccable Mr. Rogers. It was a very, very, uh, very fitting casting for Mr. Rogers with Tom Hanks. Yeah, I, I voted him into my Sposkers. I took a lot of bold moves. <laughs> I, p- hey, I picked man. him and I, I picked uh, um, somebody I can't even remember. It's not important. Well, if it. Gotta live if, dangerously. I lived dangerously in 2018 when I put Green Book down to win Best Picture at the Oscars and everyone else was picking Roma and Green Book ended up winning. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, that was funny. <laughs> I think I was one of four people to pick Green Book. Again, not saying it should have won Best Picture. If I were doing the Oscars that year, number one would have been Stars Born. Number two pick would have been Black Klansman. But um, Green Book ended up winning. Again, I think I was one of four people. So who knows? Maybe, maybe that wasn't too bold of a choice, honestly, to pick Tom Hanks because I think he had the second best chances of winning. Oh, I, I think I think that if Brad Pitt didn't win it, then for sure it was going to go to Tom Hanks. I'm just I'm surprised that one seemed to be that one seemed to be the front runner for sure. Brad Pitt. Uh, oh, yeah. I just I like didn't understand lot. it, and I was just like, man, I would personally take Tom Hanks, but uh, you know, it's not my call. Yeah. Alrighty, so Brad Pitt gets best performance in this movie. So. Moving on to does this make sense award? I don't really have many. I only have four things here. Um, when they're robbing the bank, Vinny calls Saul by his name. But when Saul calls Vinny by his uh, by his later, Vinny answers, I'd be doing a lot better if you'd stop using my name. Why is it okay for one of them to call each other the name, but not the other? <laughs> I think I think we got to chalk this up to just simply a goof, uh, but I could see how, you know, Saul, I think, could be interpreted as a code name or something like that. Uh, maybe. maybe it's just maybe it's just American ignorance. Uh, but if somebody said Vinny, I would understand that that person's name is Vinny or Vincent or something of that variety. Um, whereas I think Saul is not a commonly used name, at least in America. Um and so could be potentially a code name and Vinny is a little bit more blatantly a name. That's the only thing I can think of. I'm look for all these four. I've took a look at all your four. My answer is just going to be, it's just gotta be a goof. Um, and that's <laughs> it. So, so that's my, I, I'm, I'm, I'm before the matter, uh, giving a preemptive um, answer, <laughs> giving a preemptive answer for two, three, and four. It's just, it's gotta be a goof. <laughs> why is diamond sometimes why is the diamond sometimes referred to as 86 but at the, uh, at the beginning but at the end it's 84 
Um, if you're thinking it's just a goof, for me, I'm thinking maybe the diamond is now devalued. I don't know. I mean, I got nothing from the movie that's yeah. leading me to understand that. Um, to get maybe. that assumption, I think it's yeah. just got to be a goof. Um, something the actor said wrong um, that they were like, eh, it's not important enough for anybody to actually care about. Why does bad boy Lincoln just disappear after the conversation uh, about the greedy as a pig? Why does he just with Bricktop about that conversation? Why does he just disappear? Like, okay, so this has I'm to assuming, be. I'm assuming he just died, gets killed. Maybe we're supposed this to. This has to that. be a deleted scene where he dies, and it just didn't make the final cut, or it has to be, um, uh, just Guy Ritchie didn't know how to write this character, or he thought it was already convoluted, or one of a million different things. Um, so I guess maybe not not goof is the right answer for this one. I would say there's probably a deleted scene. Um. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I, I, my only assumption is that because it's a deleted scene, my head canon, I like to think that he gets killed, like offed, like he says the wrong thing and just gets offed. Um, because they all look pretty panicked when they're telling him finally, like, here's here's how we know this or whatever. Yeah. Um, why does Mickey's tattoos disappear? when his Ma's trailer is on fire. Now I have the answer to this. Um, Mickey has a bunch of tattoos and in the scene where he's being held back from his friends, from charging into his Ma's trailer, uh, the back shots are a double. They're not actually Brad Pitt. So that's why that scene is like that. But out of this one, I think, if we're going to chalk one and two up to just goofs, I think number three is the biggest. Does this make sense? Because it's never really explained. It's just kind of there and you don't really notice his absence. But upon the second rewatch, I did notice his absence and I was like, hmm, where did he go? They don't really explain it. Okay. Um, MVP of the movie. If you had to give someone the, the most valuable player, who do you think it would be? Look, there's there's one obvious answer, and I think there's one subtle answer. Uh, and I know you're going to pick the obvious answer because it's in the show notes, and I'm not in opposition to that at all. But I'm going to go ahead and say the editor of the movie um, just to give a little extra credit because as we're talking about this movie, one of the things I'm really realizing is kind of similar to Edgar Wright. I think that the, ed- the editor for this movie makes this movie special. Uh, it makes this work. Uh, it takes the right person doing the right things um, to make everything make sense and not feel like you get whiplash or not feel like you're losing uh, something and even do it in a way that typically still excites, entertains and even makes you laugh. So I don't, I don't know the editor's name off my, off the top of my head. Um, but that's who I'm going to pick. Not a bad choice, not a bad choice, especially after talking about the movie with you. Like this movie really comes down to how frantic the pace is, but it works. And I think it's because the editor does a fantastic job, but to me, the MVP is the obvious answer. It's Guy Ritchie. You know, I love his style. It doesn't always work, you know, but when it works, it works very, very well. And you're talking about a guy whose filmography, it has a lot of hits. It has a few misses too, you know, swept away, uh, that, uh, what was it? King Arthur movie that he did. 
you know, I'd never saw it, but apparently there was a lot of people who were not fans of it. Um, it doesn't have a high Rotten Tomato score or anything like that. I really liked his uh, uh, interpretation of Aladdin. Really dug it. Will Smith's genie was fantastic. But to me, one of the most underrated films that has come out from the past couple of years uh, was the movie starring Army Hammer and Henry Cavill called The Man from Uncle. That is the movie that convinced me that the next James Bond should either be Idris Elba or Henry Cavill. Um, I cannot tell you guys just how entertaining this movie is, and it's highly underrated. Not a lot of people saw it when it initially came out, but if you haven't seen it and you love the spy genre, I highly recommend it. And so Guy Ritchie, he's my choice for this movie. Yeah, there's a... There's no, yeah, for sure. I would see that. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, if you had to recommend like an under, not necessarily an underrated, but another movie from his filmography, what would it be? I think that Lockstock is the second best of his, uh, of his movies. But I do think that, uh, that we need to talk about the gentleman, which apparently you talked about last week Yes. Um, on the show, because it's, it's a, it's a, I'm not sure if it's great. It's a really good movie um, that came out this year. And I just think that because of the release, um, you know, it was a like very early February, potentially even January release. I don't know. Um, so, and, you know, t- potentially sometimes those t- seem to get buried um, for people that don't actually, or so that the studios don't actually release it. And, you know, they, st- or they, they still get it out there, but they're not, they don't have faith in it. Um, this is Guy Ritchie back to this form. It's, it's really good. I'm not the biggest fan of rock and roller. Um, I don't know what about it. It just didn't really do it for me. Um, this is, this is Guy Ritchie back to his lock stock and snatch days. Um, I think the acting in this is incredible. Um, I think it's maybe a little bit too complex. Um, but I think that, uh, it's really good. It's really worth a watch. I just don't know how many people didn't see it because of, you know, it coming out in January this year. And then there's been COVID since, since that. And it even took me a while around to getting to see it. I think I pre-ordered that one um, when they released it on home digital early, but I don't think I got around to seeing it until maybe a month or two after I owned it. Yeah. I saw apparently it. In... I, apparently I have that trend. <laughs> I saw it in theaters when it came out, me and my uh, wife went up one day to Columbia, Missouri, and we decided we were, we're going to have a movie day. So we went and saw Greta and Hansel, um, Gretel and Hansel, uh, and that was pretty good. And in between showings, between the gentleman and that, we actually went and saw The Rise of Skywalker again. So that was fun. And um, saw The Gentleman. And that was a great triple feature. Um, and The Gentleman is just, like I said last week, it's a really fun movie. Hugh Grant is terrific. Loved him in that. Matthew McConaughey is back on his McConaissance was, you know, terrific in it. Movie just works really well. I just really, really enjoy it. It's Guy Ritchie back to his form from movies like Lock, Stock, Two Smoking Sparrows, Snatch. And I liked Rock and Roll, so I'll throw that one in there. Um, And to speak on your uh, um, Henry Cavill as 007, there's a lot of rumors circulating that uh, Tom Hardy has been cast, although there's not really a credible source, so I'm not really going to really? trust that. Um, I mean, he's always been rumored, 
but there's a lot of rumors circulating right now that he has been cast. Although, like I said, none of them from a credible source. Hmm. Um, would... Evening Standard, Telegraph, uh, Far Out Magazine, Cosmic Express, they're all talking about it. But I, yeah, Man, I would like to see him, cool. but I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know that he's the right cast. I mean, I think maybe, uh, uh, uh Eddie Redmayne or, uh, if, if we're going for younger, uh, would be great. I'd love to see, I love the idea of Idris Elba, but I think I would want a younger person. So, uh, I, um, how would you feel about, uh, Henry Cavill? Or is he the person that you were referring to when you were saying you don't really know? Um, I don't think that I would pick Henry Cavill up mostly because of his relationship as, um, as Superman. I think he's already got his franchise role and I think that they, that would be a large commitment. Um, and his, he's such a recognizable face. I mean, Daniel Craig wasn't really not to say that that's uh, something that goes against it, but um, you know, I, I think he's already got his one, franchise and i mean that'd be you're you're talking contract disputes and things like that i mean hey man I, he could pull double duty <laughs> he, he could i you know i would like to see maybe tom hiddleston um would be a good choice as well um that wouldn't be bad i, I could see tom hiddleston um tom hardy is he's this is gonna sound weird he's big like henry cavill's big but he's also tall tom hardy's he's built like me, you know, short and stocky. So I don't, I don't know if he could pull that off as well, which then again, Daniel Craig is also short and stocky. He's a big guy too. So I don't know. Tom Hardy's a terrific actor. I, I could I think I could see it. He's handsome. I think, my one, <laughs> I think my one big thing is I would really like to see um, either a female or a person of color take the mantle. Um, and just, just to give a little variety of this. And I mean, I'm, you know, I I would go with the theory then that double, that James Bond is a name they give whoever 007 is, even though that's kind of been disproven by Skyfall, even though they could just say since Casino Royale was a boot reboot, maybe that's going to be, um, maybe that's going to be the thing, but man, I, I'm reading some articles here. Um, trying to get some ideas, and one that is sticking in my head is, man, I would love to see Riz Ahmed do it. That would be, uh, I think that would be really killer. He's uh, from the Night of and uh, Venom, and I'm not sure what else. I would, I would like to see. Um, he's already, um, Blade, but it doesn't really matter. Kind of like the Superman thing to me. Um, Mahershala Ali as James Bond would be a great pick. I, w- I would like to see him. Um, that wouldn't be a bad pick. Um, another one that I mean, I, would I was like thinking to... Lakeith Stanfield, but they typically cast British, not American. Yeah, or Scottish because Pierce Brosnan, I believe, is Scottish as as well as Sean Connery, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. But they typically cast UK, not California. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, fantasy casting for James Bond is is always a blast. Um, so I, whoever I, they cast next has some big shoes to fill, though, because Daniel Craig is my personal favorite. 
I would prefer they go with a younger and ideally, you know, person of color. Um, and they, they go with the theory that, you know, Daniel Craig was the original James Bond and everybody after him gets the name James Bond when they get their double O status. And, uh, and since and make that you know since Casino Royale, yeah, we'll see what they do. But why, at the end of the day, would you recommend someone watch the movie Snatch? It all comes down to I don't think you've ever seen a movie like this. I mean, the, yeah. Like I said, the closest the closest thing is I think you get you know Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction, but even then, uh, nothing like that. And Ed- Edgar Wright is a lot more hyper edited. Um, so even if you've seen something like Baby Driver or Shaun of the Dead or something like that, I mean, you still haven't really seen something like Snatch. Uh, honestly, the closest thing at all to Snatch is Pulp Fiction, and uh, they're still very different movies. So at the end of the day, it's you haven't seen anything like this. Um, the the performances all around are excellent, uh, and it should make you laugh. Uh, it's it's a good time. Yeah, it's a really in- engaging, funny, and just downright entertaining movie. And it's a brisk hour and 45 minutes. So it's not one that you're going to have to commit a whole entire afternoon to. So that's why I would, I would definitely highly recommend you watch this movie. Awesome. Yeah. But that is it for this week's show guys. Aaron, thank you so much for, for tagging along. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Um, In the meantime, where can people find you to listen to your, your content at like Sif pop writers room and all the like, yeah, and uh, you know, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's always great chatting movies with you, uh, whether it's on here or Sip Pop Writers Room. And if you want to check out Sip Pop Writers Room, you can check that out. Uh, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, we're on Pocket Casts and uh, uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And we just got on Amazon today. So if you do Amazon podcast stuff, uh, then you can check that out. Uh, there, just search Sip Pop Writers Room. We are 15 episodes in, 16 on this Wednesday. Um, yeah, and uh, so you can listen to that there. You can find me on Twitter at Schweitcastle, S-C-H, White Castle, like the glorious restaurant that Harold and Kumar go to. <laughs> and uh, same thing at Schweitcastle on Letterboxd. Yeah, man. Uh, we'll be back next week to discuss one of my favorite movies and one I'm sure I'll probably get emotional talking about, and that is About Time. Until then, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you can stay up to date with all the latest content I have for you guys. You can also follow me on Instagram at Ben Davis Movie Podcast, where I post my thoughts on newer releases. And stay tuned because I think about doing something kind of special for you guys over there during the month of October. It'll hint, it's a little spooky. <laughs> Anyways, till next time, guys, stay classy. <laughs>